Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning in this way. It's a pretty special morning for me, I must admit. I think it's the first time in Queensland I've been able to wear a jumper. So that's a bit of an achievement. I did check the uh, forecast overnight in my hometown. It was minus one. Now, it's not minus one here in Brisbane, but it is a bit cooler than what I've experienced thus far. So I'm rejoicing in that. I think it's, it's wonderful to have a fresh morning. If you're experiencing faith for the first time, we just love to welcome you to Access Church. If you hear one minute of this message and only one minute, then let the minute be this. The God of heaven wants to engage with you, wants to connect with you, wants to do life with you. And we were made for such a relationship. We were made for such a connection. And actually, the message of the Bible in, in, in purest forms is if you don't have that connection, you're actually not living. You're not really alive. You're spiritually blind. It's as though you can't even see yet the purpose of life. And so I just encourage you, if you've just got this one minute to hear, then please hear that. The God of the Bible longs to connect and do life with you. He is for you, not against you. We've been in the last few weeks in a series called Faith Over Fear. We've been talking about managing our emotions and in particular, as we move through this cultural moment called COVID-19, how we deal with fear, because fear can be so prominent in a season like this. It's shifting its emphasis. It's becoming more mature, if you like. In the first instance, 10 weeks or so ago, at least here in Queensland, uh, I believe the Victorians are kind of doing cycling around this again, but the Queenslanders 10 weeks ago were rushing over toilet paper. We were trying to scurry and hurry to find a, a, a roll of toilet paper in our supermarkets. Uh, we've moved on from that. We look back at that and that feels a wee bit silly right now, but we see some threats nonetheless. Threats to the economy. Those who have never, never had a job before, who are fresh out of uni, are wondering if they'll ever get off job seeker payments and into their first role in their chosen field. Those at the other end of the spectrum who've worked for 40, 50 years and recently retired from their profession look at their life and go, do I have enough? Do I have enough for the next 15 or 20 years to survive? The fear is real and tangible, and we need to wrestle with it today. Emotions are always neutral to begin with, though, and fear is no different. Uh, It's neither good or bad. See, if there's a line out the front of your place, it's probably a good idea to be afraid. That's very, very wise to have a fear of that line. Some fear is helpful. Most, though, is unhelpful. Most is negative. This is why the Bible encourages, as Neil mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, some 365 commands. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Over and over again, we find it in our Bibles because most of the time, fear is a negative emotion that we need to expel from our lives. However, there is a fear that the Bible upholds. It's very, very valuable to us and important. It's the fear of the Lord. And I want to talk to you about this this morning. What does it mean to fear God? Why should we fear God? And in this way, why is fear healthy? So, uh, so let's jump into our scriptures this morning. And we're going to read from 1 John 4. And then just a short reading from Matthew 10 as well. So 1 John 4. And then we're going to go back to Matthew 10 just for a couple of short readings this morning. So 1 John 4, verse 16 says this, 
We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face God with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear. Please notice that. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So 1 John 4 almost suggests that the appropriate response for a believer when it comes to fear is zero. Have none. Perfect love expels fear, we read. But then we have this contrasting message in Matthew 10. They're the words of Jesus. And you might want to pop a nappy on before you read this. It's frightening stuff. Matthew 10, verse 28 says this. Do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body and they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today because we sure need help. Although some would like to write off what we just read in Matthew 10, you need to understand from the outset here, fearing God's judgment is biblically endorsed. Fearing God's judgment is biblically endorsed. Now, some are going to say, that's so old school, John. You sound like you a prophet out of the Old Testament talking in such a way. Sure, they needed to be afraid of Yahweh, as he was known way back then. I mean, we read accounts in the Old Testament of God opening the ground up and swallowing people whole, big masses of people. God was a formidable character. He was quick-tempered. He was the grumpy guy. He was kind of spooky back then. But nowadays, he's mellowed out. And in his old age, he's got a bit frail. And most of the time, he just rocks on the rocking chair and falls asleep. And you can pretty much get away with anything now. Back in the Old Testament, yeah, he was a God to be feared. Nowadays, he's a little more like Santa Claus. You can get away with anything. We are in an age of grace. Nowadays, God is a pushover. He just winks and smiles, no matter what humans do. Well, that's not the case. We've just read from Matthew. That's a New Testament book. This isn't Old Testament theology. This is New Testament. And if we go to the end of the New Testament, right to the very end, the last book, Revelation, we see the same thing where this guy whose name is John encounters God, and this is what he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. It was an overwhelming thing to see God. It was nothing like seeing Santa. It struck deep terror in John. This concept of fearing the Lord is not Old Testament, it's not New Testament, it's Bible. It's Bible. Besides, it's super important to note in Matthew 10 who the audience are. Who is it that Jesus is speaking to? Please notice, it's, this is missional directions to disciples, his close associates. This isn't a message here for lost sinners, for irreligious people who don't know better. No, no, no. This is Jesus' closest friends, actually, that are being addressed in Matthew 10. It's friends, it's followers, it's disciples. This is a memo for insiders, not outsiders. We're not supposed to outgrow 
the fear of God. Even after becoming a Jesus follower, I'm not supposed to discard godly, healthy fear. It stays relevant, believer or unbeliever. To recognise God, the one and only, a serious judge who can not only destroy the body but destroy the soul is a big, big deal. And it should maintain a level of fear in us that is healthy. Now, I don't get any joy in talking about this. I know it's not politically correct. If there's a biblical doctrine I'd love to get out the rubber and erase, it would be that of eternal judgment, hell. It's a horrific, horrific doctrine. Although it's been around for a long time, there's a view now called universalism that's been made popular in the past decade or so by a guy named Rob Bell. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And in that book, Rob's argument is, if God is loving, then he can't possibly judge people forever to an eternal hell. So in the end, love must win. It's a new spin on a pretty old idea called universalism. The idea of universalism is in the end, all get saved, all wind up in heaven. The whole universe comes under the rule and reign of God. So it's a happily ever after story because love wins. Well, I only wish that were true. Francis Chan wrote a rebuttal to that book where he cans universalism as being inconsistent with the Bible. But I love the way Francis landed his book. Not in a place of rationale, not with an argument that relates to the head. No, Francis said this, if after engaging with scripture we conclude that yes, there is a literal hell, and yes, it lasts forever, then we shouldn't be able to talk about it without a tear in our eye. The doctrine of God's eternal judgment is heavy. It ought to punch a hole in us every time we engage with a thought for not only ourselves, but those we love. Matthew 10, Jesus affirms there is a legitimate fear of God to maintain. Falling into his judgment is, is a deadly, serious matter. However, there's a flip side here, which we read about in 1 John 4 today. So there's this journey between Matthew and John, where we find in John confidence about our future heaven is also endorsed in the Bible. So which is it? Because scripture seems a bit confusing here. I mean, these go together like chalk and cheese. They're like cat and dog. They don't gel. They're like oil and water. They're just an unlikely combination. How can you fear God and at the same time be unafraid about future judgment and feel confident about the future heaven? It doesn't make much sense. The question that I think is real for me then is how would I know I've crossed that boundary line where I no longer need to be afraid of God and I can now be confident about my future. Surely that line becomes the most important thing to ensure in your whole life. Making sure you've escaped eternal judgment and moved into this place of favour with God where you are confident about your future. Many of us watching today I'm sure feel enough anxiety in our lives already and you're like, John, you're not helping you're not helping today with all this talk about the fear of God. How can I put this worry to bed and ensure I'm in God's good books? 
Is it money that God's after? Is it 100 consecutive weeks of tithing? And after two years solid, God's like, wait, I can see you're serious. You're in. You're across the line. You're safe. Is it something else? Is it not about consistency, about, but about commitment level? Is it about that you didn't just give 10%, you raised the bar to 11 And God saw that devotion and said, come on in, close the door behind you. They'd keep the less committed out. What's going on here? What does God want from us? Is it about how many hours of service we do? Is it that we reach a certain amount of volunteering and after 10 years God says, yeah, 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 you you seem to be a, a good moral person. You've reached a point where you have enough credit in the bank. Or is it more abstract like, the, the fruits of the Spirit that Galatians talks about and how we ought to be patient. And is it after having three um, situations where I could have lashed out in anger and instead I was patient and God goes, three in a row, tick, you're in. Come on in, you're safe. What is it? What is God looking for from us where we can move from being afraid to being confident about our future? Well, it isn't a formula. Sorry to disappoint you. It's a relationship. In Matthew 25, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, he says to the goats, the ones that are separated to internal judgment, he didn't say, I never saw you. He didn't turn up at church. I never saw you. He didn't say that. He said, I never knew you. It's relational. Always relational. Jesus wants Deep connection. I love what Keith Green says about this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And he's right. And he goes on to say, I would rather really be born, someone be born again and doubt it than someone think they're on their way to heaven and really be lost. How tragic that would be. So, Jono, tell me how can I feel safe? Where is the line? It's not so simple as that. Romans 11.22 says God is kind and severe. God is unlike relating to any human being. Notice God is both kind and severe. He's severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. There is a reason this line is hard to be precise about because relating to God is unlike relating to any human being it's hard to be precise about such things in fact scripture when it talks about our rescue from God our salvation it uses various tenses to describe that process there's past tense present tense future tense all three phases are live dynamics that are the part of my salvation in this very moment Scripture says, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. There's past, present, and future dynamics to this. So where are we presently if we trust in the finished work of God? Well, I'll say it again. I was saved at a particular point in time. I am being saved right now, and I will be saved at some point in the future. All of this is happening now. In the past tense, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, I got seated with Christ in the heavenly places. See, there he makes it sound like salvation is a past event that I can be 110% sure of. It's a done deal. It's in the bank. 
and I don't have to worry about it. That's yesterday. But he also describes the, the salvation as a present thing. To the church at Corinth, he wrote about those who are being saved. Now, it's an unfolding sense there. It's not all over and done with. It's a work that's happening right now, today. And then he wrote to the Roman church about being saved in the future. I will be saved, he writes to the church in Romans. It makes it sound like it's up there, up ahead. It's a thing that we're not quite sure of is happening or not. Jesus adds to this futuristic perspective with his stirring words where he says, whoever endures to the end will be saved. I mean, if you flip that verse logically, if I don't endure to the end, what then? This is a profound space. So help me, John. I mean, I thought I was saved back in 1998 when I first trusted in Christ. But what now? Do I need to make a fresh decision today just to be sure? Or is there no guarantees and I actually need to keep persisting in the future in order to guarantee that what happened in 1998 is real? When can I relax? When can I cast off fear and be confident about my future? Well, I'm not sure that relax is ever the right word to apply. But I do think we can be confident about our future. 1 John 4 says so. God's perfect love expels all fear. Some versions will use the word casts out all fear. God's love is an aggressive thing. It takes on fear and wins every single time. It wins the battle in our emotional health. God's love beats off fear. Now I'm going to make this all as plain as possible in kind of street level talk right now because I realise we've got ourselves into a little bit of a tangle. If you think you've got nothing at all to worry about when it comes to approaching God in the future, you're just like, oh, I'm pretty casual about it all. I'll just walk up to Jesus when I get to heaven and say, hey, bud, what you been up to? You got a beer in the fridge? If you are kind of all casual about this, you think you and Jesus are best mates and you lack luster, can I give you the bad news? You might have plenty to worry about, actually. In view of God's judgment for you being so low, you might need to turn it up a bit. Your development today is probably to grow in the fear of the Lord. If you think this whole judgment thing is just a walk in the park. But on the other hand, if you're the type of person losing sleep over tormented thoughts about you'll never be good enough for God, and you're the type of person who has zero confidence about your walk with God, you're just constantly trembling before and spending every waking moment wondering if you'll ever be good enough. You have such a high view of God that you're spending every waking moment fretting about your status, then maybe you need to settle a little. Maybe you need to rest in the finished work of Christ. Maybe your meditation is 1 John 4, 18, more love, less fear. If it's his kindness you're missing, park there. Park there for a season. Understand he's a tender father who loves you like no other. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 that might help us clarify where we're at today. 
he talks about a proud church member and a ratty sinner. And both come to God's temple. That's the God space at the time, where if you wanted to encounter God, that's where you had to go to pray. So a proud church member and a ratty sinner turn up. But they're in wildly different head spaces. You see, one holds his head high with no fear of God. He doesn't think he needs any because he's good enough all by himself. And he approaches God with this, Lord, I thank you that I've got my life all together. I thank you that I've got everything sorted out. I thank you that I've never done anything to dishonour you. I thank you that I am moral. I thank you that I'm upright. I thank you, Lord, that as a matter of fact, there's nobody quite like me. And you must be so proud to have me here. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. Pride sets you up as an opponent to feel his fury. The proud church member. The other guy, the ratty sinner, he was so afraid of God, he couldn't even look up. He couldn't even bear to, to raise his head. He was scared of the response he would get. But with great fear and trepidation, he murmurs, God, I'm so unworthy to stand in your presence. I don't even know why I'm here. I just have one plea. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. God was delighted. Jesus says that second man went home justified. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can I paraphrase for you today? Those who think they've got nothing to worry about have plenty to worry about. Those who come knowing they're undone get lifted up and exalted in the presence of God. Fear gets cast out of their life. I like what Bede says here. There is a fear which prepares the way for love and which comes only to depart again when its work is done. Fear is supposed to draw us into relationship with God. It's the starting point. It's as I approach him with that awareness that I'm so sinful, so unworthy, so undone in his presence that he says, come on in, come on in. Let's talk about that. I have one goal, church, today. That is to have you landing all in the safe place of the Father's embrace. But please don't miss the only way there is trembling. Trembling. A desperate sinner on your knees. And it's that broken and contrite heart that attracts God. He says, oh, wow, we can talk now. And we get great confidence, not from our consistent giving, not because we've lost our temper lately or not. Although all that matters, that's not the perf- where perfect love eliminates fear. That's not it. That won't land me in a place where I'm safe. The Lord only ever picks up a prostrate son or daughter 
who knocks on his door in a shaky voice saying, have you got time for the likes of me? And he says, absolutely, have I got time? You've found the key to open the door. Lift up your head, child. Lift up your head. It's when we approach God in reverent fear that we learn to cast off negative fear. I have a picture of the President of the United States playing with his kids in the Oval Office. I love this picture. Next week I want to talk about how you can get to that space with God where you're so safe in his presence. The thing I love about this picture is the president, perhaps the busiest man in the whole wide world, is away from his desk. Notice that. He's away from his desk and he's clapping along as his children dance. You can know God in that way, in such a profound way, but the pathway there is to have respect for who he is. And we come in humility and he claps along to the dance of our life when we approach him like that. As the music team come, I encourage you this day to consider the kindness and severity of God. He's both kind and severe, Romans says. And today I've talked a lot about his severity. Next week I want to talk more about his kindness. But please don't miss the point. We can't reduce him to one or the other. He is both. He is a God to be feared. We get to experience a love that casts out all fear when we come to the cross. That's where the deadlock was broken. If you don't know what we mean by that, please make contact with us as a church. So I need to know more. I need to know how to make my peace with God. God has provided a way through Jesus where we can live without fear. As we kneel there at the cross in deep humility, he comes close to us. And it's in that kneeling. that we hear the music begin and it's like a party starting. And that's exactly how heaven describes it. It says, when one sinner kneels in repentance, all of heaven throws a party. The angels in heaven rejoice because they get how big a deal that is. That person's just gone from death to life. Their destiny's forever changed. Don't miss making that decision today. Make your peace with God. And then you find his perfect love can cast out all fear. God bless you.